Good evening, everyone. Uh, the reading from the Bible this evening is from 1 Peter and the whole of chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along. Peter writes, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, Jadosan, together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's God's word to us tonight. Uh, Peter, to a church scattered uh, around, I guess, modern-day Turkey, um, facing all sorts of pressures and challenges I've got a friend in uh, London. He's a pastor. He's a guy called John T. Alcock. Uh, he's, uh, he's a brilliant preacher. Uh, I'd encourage you to uh, listen to him. Uh, you really enjoy him. He's brilliant. And, uh, and he, he gave me the idea of the bears. Okay, this is, this is his illustration, not mine. And um, I shamelessly stole it from him about five or six years ago. I saw him do it. And I, and I did it here. I did it once. And I said to the staff this week, I said, do you remember, do you remember that, oh, that five years ago I did the thing with the bears? And they all looked at me slightly blank. I was like, great. Uh, <laughs> most of you will not see this or remember this, and that uh, works for me. Um, the bears, essentially, I'm, I'm going to show you now, and we'll return to it, because this, this picture, this idea, summarises, well, summarises the whole letter. The whole letter of Peter can be summarised with this, but particularly chapter 5, where one of the big themes in chapter 5 is, is for the Christians to, to keep going, to resist the devil, to stand fast in the grace of God, and to persevere. So, Here's the illustration. Uh, little bear, that's you. You are, you are little bear. This is, this is uh, you and your life and, and everything that's going on in it. So imagine, imagine that's you. Um, middle bear, 
This is, this is all the things, all the difficulties that you face. This is all the problems in your life. Uh, this is what the, the Bible would call, you know, the world, the flesh, the devil, trials, tribulations. Uh, you'll notice that this, is, this looks bigger than you, doesn't it? You sit there and you look at everything that's going on around you in your life and you think, that is going to eat me. Like that, that, that is way bigger than I can handle. It's going to completely overpower me. But here's, here's the point of the talk. You have to remember Big Bear. And Big Bear, if you're listening, you'll have already guessed, represents, stands for, in a totally non-blasphemous way, God. You'll notice Big Bear is significantly bigger than all of the things that you struggle with and face. Big Bear is, of course, significantly bigger than you, but Big Bear is bigger than all of the problems, all of the difficulties, all the struggles, all the strife, all the stuff that that you look at and you think, this is going to overpower me and swallow me alive. You need to look past Middle Bear and look at Big Bear. You need to look past kind of the world, the flesh and the devil and all that and keep your eyes fixed on God if you are to stand firm. And keep going. And that is really what uh, 1 Peter 5 says in a nutshell. Now, I I could sit down, but you might feel slightly shortchanged or or delighted. I don't know, but I'm going to carry on um, for another 20 minutes or so. (laughs) Um, uh, So this is what we see in this chapter. We're going to see that the big idea is that you stand fast in the true grace of God. And we're going to see kind of four, four headings. In this final chapter, as Peter brings his, his thoughts and his ideas and his letter together. And the first heading is, is this. It should come up on the screen. There it is. Um, first heading is this. Shepherds, the flock, under the chief shepherd's care. Shepherd, the flock, under the chief shepherd's care. That's verses 1 to 4, where, where Peter starts his kind of his closing remarks by addressing particularly the elders, verse 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, uh, who, will, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because uh, you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's, it's quite a striking image. And for those of us that, that do have the responsibility of, of being, um, the, the New Testament uses different words, an elder, a pastor, overseer, leader, it's all the same thing. For, for those of us that bear that responsibility, the image of shepherd is quite striking. It's, it's, it's not an image that's particularly kind of honourable or glamorous. I, I suspect it's, it goes back to Peter's own. Do you remember Peter, that encounter with Jesus after Jesus had, had risen from the dead? And Jesus asked Peter these three times, said, said Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, of course you know I, lo- I, I love you, Lord. And she said, feed my sheep. And two more times, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. The idea of being a shepherd is, it is an image that runs sort of through the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament. God himself is the chief shepherd. We see that here. And the leads of the people are described as being like shepherds. They're not, they're not CEOs. Uh, they're not visionaries. They're not charismatic uh, leaders. They're not brilliant speakers. They're just 
shepherds in Peter's day. They were sort of on the margins of a society. They were, they were pretty low down the pecking order of, of important people. They weren't, shepherds were not considered to be people of particularly wonderful status or honour. But Peter uses that image and says, be shepherds. And what do shepherds do? Well, probably three main things. They guard, guide and feed. That's the job for the shepherds. They guard, guide and feed. They guard. They, they guard the flock from the wolves. Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, um, uh, one, of the right, one, of the, one of the speakers, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, says, uh, look, wolves will come in and try and attack the flock. They'll do it mainly through false teaching. So one of the jobs of the shepherds is to, to protect the flock from false teaching, from, from ideas and thoughts out there that actually aren't from the Bible, from elsewhere, that will actually cause you harm. It's our job to, to protect you from some of that. Uh, to guide, the, the idea of, of uh, leading, of uh, drawing alongside, of, of helping sheep when they're in trouble. That, that's, that's all of what is in this image of being a shepherd. And to feed, to feed primarily with the word of God. The job of the shepherd is, is to, to teach, whether that's publicly or one-to-one, at small groups, house-to-house. That is the job of the shepherd, to guard, and to guide, and to feed. Peter says, shepherds. Look after the flock of God. But notice there's a couple of dangers here, aren't there? Peter identifies a couple of dangers. Um, He says to them, look, you you must do it because uh, you're willing, not because you you feel some sense of compulsion. Um, That's that's one thing. Uh, Don't feel kind of press-ganged into it. You must do it because you want to do it. Um, You you must not pursue dishonest gain uh, at the end of verse 2, but should be eager to serve. You shouldn't lord it over those entrusted. There'll be examples to the flock. You can see the danger, the danger of pursuing this because you think there's money in it. Seems that must have already been a danger when Peter was writing that there were those out there who thought, hang on, I can, I can do this and I can hang around kind of churches and Christians and, and offer a few pearls of wisdom and, and actually I can, I can make a living out of this and, and perhaps it seems like an easy way to do so. Now, Peter says, no, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't think this is a, a way to make money off people. If you ever see, um, you know, pastors with um, their, you know, their own names um, on their TV ministries or their websites with kind of gold watches and expensive shoes and sharp suits and private jets, something has gone wrong. Whatever their platform or fame, um, they are not doing it as they should be. And verse 3, don't lord it over those entrusted to you. Perhaps one of the greatest dangers of leadership is the, the danger of using power to mistreat other people. Uh, the, there's lots of cases at the moment, actually, within, within church world of uh, leaders who have used their, their position to manipulate people, to coerce, to, to bully, uh, to, to unfairly influence uh, often this stuff isn't, it doesn't begin as necessarily deliberate. Often it happens somewhat accidentally. Uh, a pastor feels threatened and so um, is too curt and, and, and sharp with people. Uh, a pastor wants people to, with perhaps the best intention, do what, what his vision is, but then sort of bullies them into doing it. Peter says, don't do that. Don't, don't lord it over the flock. Instead, be an example. That's a challenge, isn't it, for those of us that are shepherds? Be, be an example. And what's the, what's kind of the remedy? What's the thing that's going to keep your shepherds kind of on the straight and narrow? Uh, well, <clears throat> it's remembering this thing that, that appears at the start and end of this section. Uh, Notice at the start of verse 2, uh, Peter says, Be shepherds of what? 
not just be shepherds of the flock, be shepherds of God's flock. It's his sheep. It's his church. Not, not mine, not ours. And in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. Remember this, Peter's saying, you, you are under shepherds. Shepherds, you, you have this, this responsibility, but you are really, it's, you've got to remember, it's, it's God's sheep. They're God's flock, and there is a, there's a chief shepherd that radically kind of relativizes our role, doesn't it? So look, you've got to take real good care of the sheep because they're gods. They're, they're super precious. But also don't, don't feel like you, you have to kind of achieve everything or do everything in your own strength because there is a, a chief shepherd. We are, we're, we're a bit like this. Um, I'm sure you've seen um, from time to time, you know, those, those people, they sometimes stand at sort of a crossroads um, with one of those big signs. And the, the great big sign says something like golf sale. And then there's an arrow. You ever seen one of those? You know, raise your hand if you see one of those. Yeah, OK, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and you see that. And you, and you, uh, sometimes um, in my less godly moments, I'll see something like that and think, yeah, your life probably hasn't turned out as you're hoping, has it? You know, it's not your, your career's advisor didn't didn't tell you this was a good option. This is this is just sort of what's happened. Um, and then it struck me this week. That's me. That's that's my job. Like that's that's what I do. And the guy stood with a sign saying that way. The, the chief shepherd is that way. The, the shepherd's job, the under-shepherd's job is essentially say, you need the chief shepherd. You, you need to keep coming to Jesus. Like He is the one who can meet all of your deepest needs, uh, hopes, longings and aspirations. It's like, it's him. It's not, it's not me. My job is just to keep pointing you that way. It's, kind of, it's, a, it's a humbling thing, isn't it? Shepherds, for those of us that have that role, it's a reminder of uh, both kind of our own humility in the role, but also the importance of it, the preciousness of the sheep, the needs to be examples, to not abuse the position. Uh, and maybe if you're a, a member here, um, pray for us in that. Uh, it's not an easy thing um, to do uh, with any sort of consistent godliness. We're all uh, humans under the chief. We're all under the chief shepherd. The under shepherds are under the chief shepherd too. Maybe think about ways you could uh, encourage one of the shepherds this week. Maybe you could, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe drop them. A, one of the pastors here, there's, um, there's 10 of them. Uh, some of us are, are paid, some of us aren't, but there's, there's 10 pastors in this church. Uh, maybe you could just uh, send one a little note this week or a little WhatsApp or an email or a text just to, just to say, look, I appreciate what you're doing, praying for you. Or, or how can I pray for you? Um, don't, don't do it to me because it looks like I'm fishing for that, but, but one of the others. Um, find a way to encourage them in the work that they are called to do. Shepherd the flock under God's care. Here's the second second heading uh, in, in this section. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Verses 5 to 7. Having spoken to the shepherds, uh, Peter moves on, verse 5, and he says this, In the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, he, he starts with this address, particularly to those who are younger, but he's pretty, pretty quickly bronze out to all of us. 
uh, to, to the younger ones, um, submit yourselves, humble yourselves under your, your shepherds. Maybe it's because Peter knows that there, there is that temptation uh, when we're young uh, to think that the older folk, the old generation really don't know anything about much at all anymore today. And there's a, there's a temptation toward arrogance. And, and Peter says, just, just beware. But almost immediately, Paul says, actually, all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. So it's a really striking image. The more I've thought about this week, the, the image of, of to clothe ourselves, it's not just be humble, it's to clothe yourselves with humility. It's, um, it's that sort of outer garment. Imagine this was if you could make a garment of humility. You know, this, this is that garment of humility. And Peter says, look, put, put this on. So that almost kind of the, the first thing that people, people see about you is this. It's humility, isn't it? We often clothes actually do help us do this in different ways, don't they? Some, some uniforms help us identify somebody. We see somebody that they're a paramedic. They're a, they're a fireman. They're a, they're a policeman. They're a doctor. In Peter's own day, we know that the, the Jewish leaders, they loved the kind of the flowing ropes, the places of honour. There'll be the Roman dignitaries that, that Peter would have known about that would have wandered around in kind of the, the nice clothes and everyone knew they were people of means. And, and Peter almost picks up that image and he says, look, Claude, what's the first thing you want people to see about you? What's the first thing as, you, as, as, as they see you, as they look at you, what is, what is that first impression? Peter says, humility. Clothe yourselves with humility. I guess some of this was, um, to some degree, autobiographical for, for Peter, isn't it? Uh, do you remember when Peter, um, Jesus said to him, you, Peter, you, you're going to deny me. And you're going to deny me three times. But he said, no, no, I never will. I never will. I'll never deny you. And sure enough, as Jesus said, he, he did. It was a hugely humbling experience. And, and here's Peter saying, clothe yourselves with humility. I was trying to think, what, what, is it, what does it look like? To be humble. What does it, what does it mean? And I, I'm sure there's lots of things that could be said. But, but it struck me this week as I was thinking about this. That in some ways, the, the fight for humility suddenly starts, starts with our, our heads. I, I think it starts with our understanding of, of knowledge. Or, or perhaps the, the confidence with which we know or believe things. I mean, think, think about it this way. It's easy, isn't it, for us to, to look at somebody else and think that, we know better what they should be doing. And we can become so sure of our own opinion that we, we look down. It's, it's the opposite of humility, isn't it? We, we can look at other people and say, I see what you're doing, but really, I know what you should be doing. I, actually, I think I, I think I know better what, what really ought to be happening. And we can be so sure of that, that actually there's, there's really not much space for humility as we look down on, on somebody else, it's easy, isn't it, to, to judge and to criticise and to feel superior and to, to look down because we're, we're so sure that our opinion and our view is right. There's not much room left for humility. And the thing with humility, I think, is it, it works best when it's a bit like a dance. Um, I, I hear... Um, from, uh, from my daughters that there's, um, there's some dancing thing on telly at the moment. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in any way interested. Um, and uh, it, it seems like the, the dancing, as I understand it, um, really works when both partners are, uh, know what the other's doing. They're moving in, 
in sync. If, if one partner's doing a paso doble, I don't know anything. Uh, and the other one is doing a Charleston. Uh, those, those two things are not going to work, are they? That's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's just going to be a mess. It's going to clash. The beauty with humility, you know, when, when, when everyone does this, when everyone exercises humility towards, you know, the way we think about others, the, the way we, 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 you know, evaluate their actions and the, the views and what's going on. If all of us did this, then there's a, there's a real beauty in that. There's a real power to, to lift one another up and, and encourage them. I was thinking the, the most kind of humble people I know are the people actually, who, they're not the people who sound forth their opinion. They don't have kind of strong feelings about this, that and the other. They're, they're just gentle, humble, godly, nice to be around people. And notice where, where Peter connects this as well. This is interesting in verse 7. Where he says, cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. And I was thinking, what's, what's anxiety got to do with humility? And uh, perhaps, it's, perhaps it's the case that um, it's, it's quite hard, isn't it? It's quite hard to, um, to, to be humble if, if we cannot admit our struggles. Actually, as soon as, we, as soon as we do that action of kind of casting our anxiety, of admitting our worries and our fears, and when we, we cast it on God, that is in itself an act of humility. It's a recognition of weakness and the acknowledgement of our need for God to help. And notice it's a decision, isn't it? It's an action. Peter doesn't say it's wrong to be anxious. Do you notice that? He doesn't say it's wrong to feel anxiety. So you will. You'll have anxiety. You feel it. You always just need to acknowledge the anxiety. But then you can decide that that doesn't have to dominate everything. You can decide to cast it. You can, there's a decision of the will. There's a choice to cast anxiety to God. It doesn't mean it goes away. But you're just you're just choosing to invite God to help you in it. Humble yourselves under God's hand. Um, third thing: uh, resist the devil. In the strength God provides. Resist the devil in the strength God provides. Verse 8 to 11. Peter says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Because your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Peter says you've got to be alert. There is a, a spiritual battle we're in. There is a spiritual enemy called the devil. He's on the prowl like a lion. He's looking for someone to devour. Uh, we must uh, resist that temptation to, to, to think too much of him and, and to sort of see demons around every corner. But equally, perhaps more our temptation, we've talked about this before, haven't we, to, to perhaps not think enough about the reality of the, the battle we're in. And it's, it's, uh, as we think about the images Peter uses, it, it is quite a scary one. Think about what he said. Um, has he described you? Sheep. Has he described someone like me? Shepherd. Has he described the devil? Lion. That's a bit worried, isn't it? Uh, shepherds and sheep versus a lion. That's, that's a complete mismatch, isn't it? Like, we, we're done for. Like, the lion will just tear us to pieces. We've just got no chance. Yet, Peter says, and we're going to see why in a minute, he says, but, but you can resist. You can resist. Stand firm in the faith. 
as are Christians all around the world, as they were in his day, as they are in our day, stand firm and um, not quite there yet. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Justin. Um, uh, stand firm. And notice what he says, verse 9. Did you notice the, the, the interesting little thing here? Resist him standing firm in the faith. He could have written, resist him standing firm in faith. But he says, he deliberately puts stand firm in the faith. Now, what's the difference? Well, I think the, the standing firm in faith is sort of, would be, we'd be trying to stand firm in, in our own feelings of faith. Our own subjective sort of journey and experience of faith. But this is different. Peter saying, no, stand firm in the objective truth of the faith. In other words, the, the body of truths that have been handed down to you, stand in that. All those things that, you, you, that you've been told about uh, Jesus, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, his return. All those objective truths about how he's paid for your sin on the cross so that you can know justification, full forgiveness. Stand firm in that. Not so much in how you feel about your faith, but about the truth of what God has done for you. Stand firm in the faith. And that will be difficult. We'll find that pressure in all sorts of ways. I know some of the youth uh, last week were talking about some of this. And, uh, and one of them said, you know, if I, it's really hard to stand firm at school for this sort of thing. It's, it's really hard to be at school and, 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 and kind of affirm the belief that there's only uh, one way to get to heaven through Jesus Christ. It's really hard to stand firm on, on biblical morality around issues like sexuality. It's really hard to, to stand firm. I was just a message from a student this week. Who, one of their lecturers, in about the first week of their lectures, had uh, attacked the Bible. It's really hard to stand firm. But Peter's saying, but you, you must, you must stand firm in the faith. This is the, the reliable truth that God has given about what Jesus has done. That is, that is the place to stand. And how do you do that? Well, notice verse 10 and 11. How are you going to do that? The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. One of the striking things about this passage is um, there's lots of kind of commands for believers in here. You know, shepherds do this. Believers, be humble, uh, resist the devil, be alert, stand firm. But kind of woven throughout all of that is all the stuff that God is doing. All the ways in which God is, is helping. Uh, he is the one who is kind of the, you know, the chief shepherd. It's his flock. He is the God of all grace. Uh, he is the one who will restore and make strong and firm and steadfast. It's, it's, it's the bears, isn't it? It's, it's the bears. Like, this is us, sheep, shepherds. This is the devil. There's no chance, isn't it? If these are the only two things you think, you think about, you see, then... We're done. We've lost. But Peter says, no, no, look, verse 10. Remember Big Bear. Remember the one who is infinitely more powerful than sheep and even the devil. He is the one. He is the God of all grace. He is the one who will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. If you keep looking past Middle Bear, keep looking past the trials and the tribulations and the the world, the flesh and everything, keep looking past that to Big Bear... That is how you're going to resist. Keep looking at at the one who gave the faith, 
the God of all grace, as you, as you keep your eyes fixed on him, he is the one who's going to enable us to do this difficult work of being alert, sober-minded, resisting, standing firm. Keep looking to him. Here's the final heading. Uh, we can have that now. Thank you. Uh, stand fast. Stand fast in the true grace of God. This last little section uh, from verse 12, and Peter kind of pulls all this together and gives, gives one final summary. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. How do we define grace? Well, sometimes we use this little kind of acronym, don't we? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. So it's a good way of remembering what grace is. What's grace? It's, it's all of God's riches at Christ's expense. All of God's riches given to you at Christ's expense because of what he has done. Stand fast in that place. Situate yourself. Literally kind of plant yourself in the true grace of God. If you've ever been to um, <clears throat> a Yo Sushi restaurant, then um, you'll, you'll understand the joy of, of, of the whole process uh, where you, kind of, you, you sit yourself down and this amazing little kind of conveyor belt of goodness just sort of wings its way around with all, all manner of wonderful treats. And you have, to, you have to keep quite a close eye on how, how it adds up because you keep taking another one and another one and another one. And before you know it, you spend like 50 quid on sushi. Um, it's delicious, but it's terrifying. And so you, you're stacking up the bowls and, and they, it just keeps coming. Like it never runs out. You just sit there and, and no matter how many bowls you take, more appear. And each one looks, looks amazing. You just, just sit there thinking, this, this is amazing. Now, if you, if you hate sushi, this is a terrible illustration. But if you like sushi, you, you know what I mean. This is sit yourself at the table of God's grace. Sit yourself at a place where it just keeps on coming. God's riches keep on coming. It, it never runs out. And each bowl that comes is, is even better than the last. And he's already paid for it all. You don't even have to pick up the tab. Sit there. Plant yourself there. Establish yourself there in the grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is what keeps us going, even in the midst of a world of suffering and spiritual battle. Peter finishes with this. He says, look, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. Again, this is Peter using this image he's used throughout his letter of exile. Now, Babylon, by this point, didn't actually exist. He's using it um, metaphorically. He's saying we, we, are, we are in this place. Remember in the Old Testament, Babylon was the place of exile. The place that, that God's people, when they'd, they'd been captured, they'd been taken away from their homeland in Jerusalem. They're in a, this, this foreign place, slaves, feeling far from home. Um, Peter's saying, you will feel like you're there. He said this throughout the letter. Uh, you will feel like you're in Babylon. And then he says, send you greetings and so does my son Mark. Many commentators think um, this is uh, John Mark. John Mark was, um, we discover him in the book of Acts. He went on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And uh, for whatever reason we're not told, he seems to have abandoned it kind of halfway through and gone back home. And at a subsequent point in, in another journey, um, whatever's happened 
Paul doesn't think it's very wise to take John Mark. There's, there's, there's a big disagreement. He and Barnabas have this fallout about whether to take him or not, and they decide not to. But what I think is lovely is he, the fact that his name checked here means that whatever happened to him, he, he was restored. This is also the John Mark who um, most would think wrote Mark's gospel. Peter's probably his primary source for that gospel. So you just get these two lovely characters, you know, Peter and Mark, both, both of whom you see within the page of Scripture have their, their weaknesses. They have their moments of failure, and yet they're restored and used mightily in the grace of God. How do we summarize the letter? Well, I think, I think we can summarize it this way, um, in, in kind of just five brief sentences. Uh, the first thing would Peter would say, um, listen, church, you will feel often like you're in exile, like this world is not quite your home. And yet, secondly, you need to know your true identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You will, you'll feel like you don't belong. Here's your true identity. Your mission is to live such good lives that though others accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they glorify God. You are to do that in the public square and in the workplace and in the home. And in the church. And guess what? Fourthly, you will experience suffering. Chapter 4. You will experience suffering for this. It will come. But, chapter 5, there is a greater glory to come. The chief shepherd will appear. You will receive the crown of glory. He will lift you up in due time. He will restore you. Make you strong, firm and steadfast. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. I don't know which one of those five things perhaps has struck you most as we've, we've gone through it. Maybe it's the idea of not quite belonging here. Maybe it's the need to think about your identity or your mission or the fact that we will endure suffering. Or maybe it's the glory to come. I don't know. Maybe for me, as I was kind of reflecting on this, I, actually, perhaps I don't know enough about what it really means to suffer for the name. Maybe in the, the world in which we live, we, we, we don't really have to. There are the nibbling piranhas we were thinking about with Simon last week, but maybe there's greater suffering to come for the church over the next 50 years. Maybe that is something that we will have to think about. But remember the bears. Remember the bears. However, however terrifying uh, middle bear looks when compared to you, keep looking over his head. Keep looking to big bear. Keep looking to the one who will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it.